Hi there, we're back. And the headline is, I thought we had a deal. Trump loses it after bad news from the IRS. Midas Touch post six hours ago. Hi, I'm Nicole Hockley from Hi. San Thomas. I know this is hard to hear, but it's important. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Donald Trump is on his social media platform uh -huh. just completely whining about some purported deal that he had with the IRS that he uh -huh. claims they're not honoring or he claims he could have negotiated a deal with them when he was in office but decided not to negotiate what? a deal with them. It's complete and utter disinformation by Donald Trump. The reality is Donald Trump refused and failed to pay taxes. He paid more taxes to China than he did here in the United States. He is uh -huh. a complete tax cheat. He's been a tax... He's $105 million in debt. He paid $200,000 in taxes to China, and he has a secret Chinese bank account. Maybe I should mention that. Cheat his entire life, and now finally the IRS has caught on to what he's done, and they are holding him accountable. But let's look at Donald Trump whining on his social media platform as he's apparently in big trouble from the IRS. So this is what he writes. He goes, so interesting to see the IRS make a strange house call, Wall Street Journal, on Matt Taibbi and breaking it for strictly political reasons. I had a, quote, done deal before running for president. They broke it, treated worse than Tea Party and evangelicals. And it goes to the second post. But can we pause there for a second? So I, I suppose what he's talking about is, I think Matt Taibbi got like a letter from the IRS that he may be the victim of identity theft. And the right wing uses that to say, look, Biden has weaponized the IRS against Matt Taibbi because he was called as a witness uh, to talk about the Twitter files where all the MAGA Republicans were wondering why Twitter wouldn't post naked photos of Hunter Biden. Biden when Donald Trump was the government, when Donald Trump was in the White House in October of 2022. Here, look, but this is what Matt Taibbi says. Matt Taibbi goes, I've been reassured now by the IRS that there's no problem, but I still look forward to hearing an explanation. Look, these people are so privileged that a minor inconvenience, they get a letter from the IRS, which I'm sure everyone here at some point has got a letter from some governmental entity that perhaps was erroneous or that they shouldn't have gotten him. Yet for that, the MAGA Republicans are like, you've weaponized the IRS. Let's actually reflect what real weaponization looks like, where Donald Trump actually used the IRS to not audit him and to actually audit his political enemies and to target them with audits. That's actually what took place uh, during the Trump administration. Just ask James Comey, for example. So going to the next page right here of Donald Trump's post, he goes, I could have easily made a very good deal with the IRS during my four years as president, but thought it inappropriate to do so. Besides, I already had a deal 
from before my presidency, a deal which they choose not to honor. So now I am demanding the original deal without late changes in the rules and regulations so that deal would be harder to make. Most people would say that after watching the Biden family take advantage of government, I should have made deal during my term. To me, conflict. I mean, first off, the fact that this looks like and no offense to kindergarteners, like a kindergartner wrote this. Like, he can't even put together a sentence. And then he goes, based on seeing what Biden's family has taken advantage of the government. I mean, Jared Kushner and your daughter, your son-in-law and your daughter, literally made hundreds of millions of dollars grifting in positions of public trust. And thereafter, Jared Kushner secured a deal for $2 billion from the Saudis. And, and he's not even a wealth manager. And they gave him $2 billion because why? Because he gave the Saudis a, a hit list of all of the quote-unquote enemies to Saudi Arabia. Because he gave them classified information and because you spew 9-11 conspiracies. I mean, how disgusting are you that you host the Live Golf Tournament and then when you're asked about 9-11, you say that we don't really have the answers to 9-11 and that no one really knows what happened and you spew disgusting 9-11 conspiracies for the for the Saudis and just completely cover up from them. By the way, the, uh, the prince of Saudi Arabia said that he has Jared Kushner in his pocket and bragged and boasted. So you want to talk about taking advantage of government. Everything with these people, with these MAGA Republicans, with these fascists, with these traitors, is just complete and utter uh, projection. And, and by the way, if you like try to read that again, like none of it makes sense at all. I had a deal. I didn't have a deal. I could have made a deal when I was enough. I didn't make a deal because... I didn't have to make a deal because I had already made the deal. Like, what in the world are you talking about? But what's obvious is that you did not pay your taxes. You paid more money to China in taxes than you did to the United States. You paid more money to other foreign governments than you did in the United States. In fact, you barely paid any taxes. In fact, you sought multi-million dollar tax refunds from the government and didn't pay anything at all when you actually level it out the government paid you you made money off the government through your fraudulent valuation uh, scheme utterly utterly disgusting but it's good to see you squirm and it's good to know that the irs now is well staffed that it has the resources and it is now paying attention by the way this was one of the main reasons why the MAGA Republicans were out there lying about Biden staffing up the IRS, because ultimately they tried to scare people. Oh, the IRS is coming after you. The IRS is coming after you. The IRS isn't coming after you. The IRS is simply trying to put people in positions where there have been vacancies, one over the course of a decade, but to put people so that we can discover billionaire or purported billionaire tax cheats, people like Donald Trump who have tried to totally, totally strip all resources of the IRS so they could screw you over. I mean, look, you watching this, you've almost certainly paid more money. I, I guarantee you that you pay more money in taxes than Donald Trump, period. Donald Trump's pay far less taxes, not proportionate, actual dollars. 
He paid less money in taxes than you've paid. That's utterly, utterly absurd. And he's paid more money in China than he has to the United States. And here he goes on just whining about other things. How do you indict an innocent man, a former very successful president who is now running and leading in the polls? That every legal scholar and virtually every hater says, don't do it, there is no case here. This is what happens in third world countries, which sadly the USA is rapidly becoming. No, that's what you want the USA to become. That's what you try to make the USA to become. And by the way, not virtually every legal scholar, because virtually every legal scholar who I talk to who truly cares about law and order and isn't a MAGA cult member uh, believes that when you commit crimes, you should be held accountable for the crimes. That when you commit the crimes of falsifying business records, that's a crime. When you engage in election interference, that's a crime. When you try, when you engage in massive campaign finance violations, that's a crime. Crime, 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 and you need to be held accountable. And then he posts this, all in caps. Looks what, look what's happened to the United States of America since I left office. It's not even possible to believe. No, projection. What's not possible to believe is that you were even placed anywhere near a position of power. What is not even possible to believe is what's happened to the Republican Party. Disgraceful, shameful, humiliating to the entire nation. You know, when, you know when you say, oh, the whole world is laughing at us. No, people are laughing at you. People are laughing at what the Republican Party has become. That's what people are laughing at right now. Because this is a weird cult that looks up to somebody like you, that's now the Republican Party, that, those are the people who call themselves conservative? Are you kidding me? That's what's not even possible to believe. And as I watch you at the Wacko Waco rally, as I watch you talk about the J6 choir and creating songs with terrorists, that's not even possible to believe, yet large media networks, yet, you know, all these people, all these institutions try to normalize it. Not here on the Midas Touch Network. The exhausted, silent majority, the true majority of Americans who support our democracy, who love this country, who love our constitution, who want to improve our country, who try to with our conduct every day show that we love our country. We're not standing for this no more. We're going to call this out each and every day. Oh, and by the way, good luck with the IRS. Until next time, I'm Ben Micellis from the United States. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 1 million and 500,000 subscribers. We passed 1 million subscribers. Let's get to 1.5. Million, can we? Also, check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch, P A T R E O N dot com slash Midas Touch. Also, you can check us out at the Midas Touch Instagram. Make sure you follow our Instagram and wherever you get your audio, search for the Midas Touch podcast there as well. All right, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for watching this. I'm Ben Micellis. Lock him up. Indictment season is upon us. Celebrate with the new indictment season t shirt and v neck exclusively at store.midastouch.com.
My pretty new pea hen. Isn't she lovely? Isn't she beautiful? Yeah, she is. Thanks for 93, 94K. Appreciate that. Let's celebrate when I get 100K. Gonna ask. Uh, Midas Touch again to put me on their list of affiliated <laughs> podcasts. Okay, thirty streamed 36 minutes ago. Live Jack Smith locks down key testimony amid stunning update from Manhattan DA Legal AF. Yeah. I heard of Virginia Axel. We're You've joined the midweek edition of Legal AF, where we have cultivated the most consequential stories at the intersection of law and politics. You may know what happened, but we explain what happens next. On today's show, we address what is going on with the Manhattan DA's office grand jury criminal investigation of Donald Trump and the Stormy Daniels hush money cover-up. And we'll talk about a number of things. Why is the grand jury taking a month-long break? Is it cold feet by the prosecutor or something else? What can we make of the last witness before the break being the former publisher of the National Enquirer, David Pecker? And what could the second crime that they need be? And is it possible that the grand jury is looking at more than Stormy Daniels? And does it matter that Donald Trump seems to be ordering the grand jury around in his social media posts? Then we're going to turn to Jack Smith. And now that he's successfully stripped the executive privilege away from Trump's national security advisor, intelligence director, homeland security advisor, Mark Meadows, the vice president, when is his charging decision going to be made and what is it going to be focused on? Is it going to be some sort of conspiracy around national security violations and Donald Trump? Is it Mar-a-Lago or Jan 6? We'll get to the bottom of it. And then finally, we have developments in the E. Jean Carroll defamation and civil rape case that starts in just less than a month. The judge having just ruled that Donald Trump is not going to be able to get out on summary judgment and have dismissed the last defamation claim that happened after he was president. We'll talk about what that means for the trial on, on, uh, on moving forward. This is the midweek edition of Legal AF. I am Michael Popak. I'm joined every Wednesday by my co-anchor, former top prosecutor, current amazing lawyer, Karen Friedman at Kniffalo. You've seen her everywhere, but she's exclusive today to Legal AF, and our episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Karen, how are you? Great to see you. Great to see you. So much going on. Great to see you. It's not the law and order set today for you. It doesn't seem to be some sort of green room. Where are you? Home. You're home. Is it I'm home? Is today. it home a nice? Is it home a nice place to be sometimes? One good thing that came out of the pandemic is the work from home, the ability to work from anywhere. I love it. I would never go back to 
being forced to only be in an office. I love that I can work in different places wherever I am. So a lot more flexible. That's true. However, I will tell you that I was in... 60 Center Street, the main courthouse that we, we talk a lot about, at least on civil side. And I had been back in court. I was at Second Circuit arguing an appeal about eight months ago. But I was the first time in that courthouse before, since before pandemic. And I loved as a trial lawyer being back in that courtroom, in that courthouse. I just love the smell of it. I love being around it. Um, there was like one person on every floor. But it, it was fun to be back. As a practicing lawyer and trial lawyer, it was fun to be back inside of a courtroom and not inside of a Zoom box. But this is what we do. And podcasting is made so much easier by our ability to do everything remotely. Let's talk about your office and the Manhattan DA's office. Because, you know, we get some um, understandable criticism for trying to predict when things are going to happen in cases. And when we're wrong or we're off or the timeline is a little bit skewed, you know, people get upset, and I understand that. We'd like to be right every time. If you, if you look back at our, I don't know, 250 episodes of Legal AF stretching back two and a half years, you know, we're, we're more right than wrong. I mean, we're probably batting 950 if you look at old episodes. Now, sometimes the timing gets a little bit screwed up. Like, we think, this is the week for the indictment. No, this is the week for the indictment. And now we've got, what we've now learned, is that there is going to be a scheduled break in the action because of the holidays in New York, which as a New Yorker, and Karen will weigh in on this as well, is very important to New Yorkers, more so than probably any major city in America. New Yorkers take their holidays really seriously, regardless of your religious beliefs. We were joking before the podcast today about if you own a car in New York, and you have to you have to alternate side of the street park, moving your car from one side of the street to the other to allow for street cleaning. You will learn very quickly, regardless of your background, all of the major Jewish holidays, and even some of the minor ones, because those are the days that you have to move your car. So again, holidays, really, really important. And they were important to Alvin Bragg and the prosecutor's office. I mean, one of the things that prosecutors or lawyers like to do is keep the grand jury and the jury happy and content. It's the care and feeding of the, of the jury because you want them to be in the right frame of mind to make decisions that are important. So you make sure they get their lunch on time, you make sure you're ordering from the right restaurants, you give them breaks, you let if those that are smokers or, or fumers, they can go out and do that for a bit. You know, you eat this at a coffee break because, you know, it's a hard job and it's very emotionally draining to be on any type of jury. So what we have learned this week is that in January, they promised, the prosecutors promised, that there would be a gap for Passover and Easter and spring break so that all the people's vacations and uh, family obligations wouldn't be negatively impacted. And so we are apparently now on that break. They got one more witness in, and we'll talk about it on the show today, David Pecker, the former publisher, uh, really disgraced publisher of the National Enquirer, and what his link through Michael Cohen, through Kellyanne Conway, is back to Donald Trump and that Stormy Daniels hush money cover-up. Um, and then the grand jury's got other stuff to do, and apparently they're going to be doing other stuff this week, having nothing to do with Donald Trump on other crimes and other matters, not not involving him. And then they're going to take their break, which they're allowed to do. They've been working kind of hard. Then they're going to come back at the end of April. 
And then we're going to be back with the Indictment Watch, as our co-anchor Ben Marsalis likes to call it, at the end of April, in the beginning of May. Now, with that timeline, we're pushing up against Fawny Willis. Because if Fawny Willis in Fulton County, looks like she's going to be presenting to her regular grand jury in May. So it looks like May is going to be super active. But let's start by unpacking it all with my co-anchor, Karen Freeman of Niffalo, formerly number two in the very office that's prosecuting and investigating Donald Trump for Stormy Daniels. And let me go through a couple of questions to frame it. One, is the break unusual and should we read anything into it? Let's start there. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like everybody should just climb off the ledge. It's not a, it's not a sign in your your mind then, Karen, that they're they're getting cold feet about the indictment, that the, the case is cratering, buying into any of the attempts chicken by shit. Donald Trump to draw Alvin but Bragg into a shit. footfall of any type, right? No. I mean, look, there's a couple of things. First of all, everything is happening in secret, right? So this is a grand jury by its very nature is secret. The only reason we know about this is because of witnesses who have gone in and either have been spotted by reporters who then report on it or who have talked about it publicly. So the only reason we know anything about the grand jury has nothing to do with the DA's office telling us anything or the courts telling us anything. It's really just things that you can glean. So if a witness goes in in the afternoon, you know it's an afternoon grand jury because grand juries sit in the afternoon. Or if a witness goes in on Monday and Wednesday, they usually, these special grand juries usually sit for two or three mornings or afternoons per week. So we know, for example, based on when witnesses have gone in, it's a Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, afternoon grand jury. Things like that, that again, nobody's announced anything like that, but we know it because we can surmise it based on facts that we see. And so it's, and so the same thing with a, a long-term grand jury when, so, so grand juries, just to back up a minute, the way to charge someone, the only way to charge someone with a felony in New York, I shouldn't say the only way, the, the main way to, to go forward with a felony in New York is with a grand jury indictment. A defendant can also waive indictment by the grand jury and then be prosecuted. But but it's it's you have a right to have a grand jury indict you if a prosecutor wants to prosecute you for a felony. And so you go into a grand jury. Now, there's always uh, about between four and six grand juries happening in Manhattan at all times. And some of them are two-week grand juries where they sit all day for two weeks. Some are four-week grand juries where they sit half days, like there's a morning grand jury, an afternoon grand jury. And there's there's different grand juries that sit that here, just the routine cases that come in and out of the office. However, some cases can't be, uh, can't, can't be presented in either that two-week or four-week time frame. And there are some cases that you know are going to be long-term investigations. You don't know if they're going to go anywhere. And so what you do is you call for a special grand jury. And special grand juries sometimes can, can sit for 18 months or for six months. Or depending on how long you want them for, you make an application to the court and you apply for a grand jury for a certain amount of time for a certain number of cases or, or investigations. And then the grand jury sits. And so what and they and they come up with a schedule and one of the things they look at are holiday schedules. Now, the reason they're taking 2 weeks off has more to do with childcare than it does anything else because the public schools are off 
uh, the private schools are off during the two weeks that they have chosen. Is two, Karen, is it two weeks or a month? I thought I am reading no. this closer so, to a month. So the reason they're saying that, so so people have decided that the grand jury, so there's a there's Thursday tomorrow and there's Monday next week. And people have decided for whatever reason, and I'm not sure why, that there will not be a vote on either of those days. I still think there's a chance that there could be a vote tomorrow or Monday. I don't, I haven't seen any indication that that couldn't still happen. So I'm, I am sort of a lone voice out there, I think, saying this, but I still think there's a chance. So uh, if you were, in other words, if you were the prosecutor, just because there is a scheduled vacation coming up doesn't mean that in the remaining days from then until now, Alvin Bragg couldn't call the grand jury back to vote. Well, they are coming in tomorrow and Monday. The reporting is that they're coming in to hear a different case. And right. they might be coming in to hear a different case, but that doesn't mean they're also not going to be charged and vote on this case. It doesn't take that long to charge and vote. It could take, I'd say in this case, I would probably leave an hour, uh, maybe hour and a half at most. But, so you can, you, there could still be an indictment to, tomorrow or Monday in this case. But the reason I don't think it will go past Monday is because next Wednesday and Thursday are Passover. So you will lose certain grand jurors or uh, at that point, And then you don't have a, you, you might not have a quorum, which would be, you need 16 for a quorum and you need at least 12 to vote to in favor of an indictment. And that cuts it a little close. And so I don't see it happening next Wednesday or Thursday. So, and then there's two weeks after that. And so that's why people are saying a month because they're saying we lost this week, we lose next week. And then two weeks after that, that's why people are saying it's close to but, a month. But, but they've missed your point. They've missed the KFA point which is don't be don't run after that shiny object they could vote when they're back for the other work yes. before they go on their vacation yep <laughs> so so i would i would i would just again i don't want i don't want people to say that i'm in any way saying oh they're going to indict or they're not going to indict i just remember when i was uh, in the office and there and we would we had a few um, or i should say a few we had many super high profile matters like this that we kept on on super lockdown there was only maybe three or four people in the world that would know information and and you know you you it's a deliberate effort to keep it on super lockdown and i just remember the reporting from excellent news reporting so you know um uh like newspapers and outlets and they just got it wrong, 100% wrong. And uh, you just sit there and scratch your head and think, where are they getting this from? You know, because I know what's happening and it's not that. So, I, you know, I, I really just think that there's still a possibility. And I, and I don't want to get like the Twitter comments. Oh, I, you know, they keep saying it's happening. And, and you oh, know, I address it, that in the beginning. <laughs> I, just, I just, but you know what? I, I just, I'm not saying it is. I just, I just don't want anyone to... Um, I don't put too much stock in, in what people are saying. Yes, there's a vacation. Yes, they're not going to sit Passover, but there's still two days they could sit or it's going to happen after that. We, you know, it's funny. I think people like to hear about this, how we prepare for a show. Yes, we bring to the show our experience and knowledge, our body of work, our, our judgment from the years that we've been in practice. But, you know, we prepare. And before a show like this, um, 
you know, I think people would find it interesting where Karen and me and Ben, you know, the three lawyers on the team, go back and forth with, you know, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this analysis? And, and one of our other legal analysts out there is making this comment and then we'll say, no, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. That can't be it. It's got to be this. So we do sit around and, and to prepare and to push each other as lawyers to, to, to figure out and who's got intel and what are you hearing and what can we piece, what's the puzzle pieces that we're putting together that's unique to legal AF. And that's what we do. And, and the product of all of that is when it's, it's go time, it's air time, you're seeing us talk about it. And sometimes we're, you know, we're making the sausage together out loud, you know, in front of everybody. And so and we're, we're mainly, you know, we're mainly on point because of the judgment that we bring bring to bear here. Let me let me continue with the checklist of things I wanted to cover with you while we're doing the podcast today. So the the, the third one is um, and you and I did a really a really great. It was fun to do it with you. A mini legal AF hot take of about twelve or fifteen minutes that, if people are interested, is is still running, and, and a lot of people have seen it on the day of David Pecker being recalled by the grand jury to testify. Let me frame it and turn it back to you to give a a version of what we what we've talked about. Oh, I love David you about Pecker. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, yeah, because I started. People gave me criticisms like, is it Picard or is it Pecker? I don't care. I'm going to call him Pecker. Let me see if I can do it consistently. If you're going to carry that name around, and I've got a name that gets butchered, you think Popak is easy? It's only because we've had a million episodes, and Ben frequently calls me Popak 30, 40 times an episode. You know what? I beat you in terms of I beat you in terms of a last name that gets butchered. <laughs> we saw Chris Hayes. Poor Chris Hayes. He just one. He had a cold that day, so he was having trouble, like you know, talking. And then he totally butchered Not butchered your name. But I don't. I talked so, to a reporter the other day, and I and they put out a thing in the Daily Beast this morning, and I read it, and they wrote Karen Agrifolo. And I oh, is like, that what it says in the Daily? Salty, well, no, they corrected it. No, no, no they corrected salty, it. I, I, salty, put I up the Daily Beast article. I want to talk about Which I think is rice baiting. Exclamation. Chris Hayes said a nig for low. Which I consider a subtle form of race baiting and uh I cor they corrected it online. I, I said, come All on. Right. You know? All right. At least you, I guess a, you can't pronounce it. You can't pronounce it, but you can spell but, it. Agnifilo. But, but let, let's stay on that. We'll, I'll wrap it I into Pecker. beautiful Agnifilo. <laughs> it's terrible. Because Pecker, Pecker is connected to Cohen, is connected to Kellyanne Conway. It's a lot of hard K's and C consonants here. Kellyanne... Pecker, Cohen, 
and all of that. And they're all they're all together, and it seems to be the focus, or one of the main thrusts of the investigation related to Stormy Daniels, is because it is, and we're, this is not surmise or suspicion or we're predicting. This comes straight out of admissions by the publisher of the National Enquirer, the media company that published them, which was owned at the time by David Pecker, American Media Group, American Media International. And they entered into, because of um, their campaign violations related to Donald Trump, they entered into a non-prosecution agreement with the Department of Justice, with the Southern District of New York, who was investigating, in return for that experience and knowledge, our body of work, our, our judgment from the years that we've been in practice. But, you know, we prepare. And before a show like this, um, you know, mm-hmm. I think people would find it interesting where Karen and me and Ben, you know, the three lawyers on the team. Pecker. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, yeah, because I started people gave me things that you can glean. So if a witness goes in in the afternoon for a certain amount of time for a cer- certain number of cases or, or investigations and then the grand jury sits. And so what and they and they come up with a schedule. And one of the things they look at are holiday schedules. Now, the reason they're taking two weeks off has more to do with child care than it does anything else, because the public schools are off and the private schools are off during the two weeks that they have chosen. Is and it two, what, Karen, is it two weeks or a month? I thought, I, I read, I'm reading no. that closer so, to a month. So the reason they're saying that, so, so people have decided that the grand jury, so there's, a, there's Thursday tomorrow and there's Monday next week, and people have decided for whatever reason, and I'm not sure why, that there will not be a vote on either of those days. I still think there's a chance that there could be a vote tomorrow or Monday. I don't, I haven't seen any indication that that couldn't still. Tomorrow or Monday. Or Monday. I don't, I don't, I haven't seen any indication that that couldn't still happen. Tomorrow or Monday. Chance that there could be a vote tomorrow or Monday. There could be a vote tomorrow or Monday. I don't, I haven't seen any indication that that couldn't, there could be tomorrow or Monday. I don't, there's a chance that there could be a vote tomorrow or Monday. I don't, I haven't seen any indication there's a chance. I still think there's a chance that there could be a vote tomorrow or Monday. I don't, I haven't seen any indication, I still think there's a I still think there's a chance that there could be a vote tomorrow or Monday. I still think there's a chance that there could be a vote tomorrow or Monday. That was the former district attorney of New York. Keep the faith that there could be a vote to indict tomorrow or Monday. 
I still think there's a chance that there could be a vote tomorrow or Monday. That was the former district attorney of New York. Keep the faith that there could be a vote to indict tomorrow or Monday. I still think there's a chance that there could be a vote tomorrow or Monday. That was the former mm -hmm. district. The faith that there could be a vote tomorrow or Monday. I still think there's a chance that there could be a vote tomorrow or Monday. Says there's still a chance to Or Monday, Friday or Monday. Should I put on maybe? Diaper done, diaper done. Working a restaurant. Arrest Trump.
because it is and we're, this is not surmise or suspicion or we're predicting this comes straight out of admissions by the publisher of the National Enquirer the media company that published them which was owned at the time by David Pecker American Media Group American Media International and they entered into because of um, their campaign violations related to Donald Trump they entered into a non-prosecution agreement with the Department of Justice, with the Southern District of New York, who was investigating, in return for them cooperating and testifying, ultimately against, it was against Michael Cohen at the time, but by extension by Donald Trump. And what they, under oath, told the Department of Justice is that David Pecker created the Patch and Kill program, offered it up to Kellyanne Conway and Michael Cohen in a meeting down in Florida, He's a buddy, a BFF of Donald Trump, going back to when they were both playboy, you know, um, you know, bachelors down there. Um, and so, and, and the plan was, you find the people that said that they slept with Donald Trump, and I'll go pay them off, enter into confidential non-disclosure agreements, and bury the story, and never, it'll never see the light of day, the catch and the kill. And they, uh, and he offered it to Cohen and McDougal, and the, uh, uh, Cohen and... Kellyanne Conway, and the first test diaper, diaper, case was Karen McDougal, who was a playmate, a Playboy playmate, who, like um, Stormy Daniels, claimed that she had had sex with Donald Trump, you know, when he was married, and was going to go public with it. And they paid her, it was close, you can see the going rate, the market rate that Donald Trump was paying. <laughs> No affair? Question mark. Who do you believe? <laughs> Who do you believe? The fake ones with big tits or Stormy Daniels?
for these types of stories, $150,000. That one got paid directly, apparently, and Becker admitted to it, as did his company, paid directly to um, uh, Karen McDougal. This one took a little bit of a fortuitous route, where it, the um, Pecker connected Cohen to Stormy Daniels' attorney, and the payment got made. Kellyanne Conway was in the room for the description of the of the plan, of the of the program, the scheme, and that seems to be the focus. So let's talk about it. He already testified in January, Pecker, to the grand jury. He's one of the first. There's nine people that went into the grand jury. He was one of the first of the nine people, focusing, I guess, on corroborating and bolstering Michael Cohen's testimony as a witness that has a little bit of baggage. And the first one that comes back in, because the grand jury asked for it or otherwise, after Robert Costello, former, I don't know what he was, I don't know if he was a lawyer for Michael Cohen, but he was something with Michael Cohen, had come in and, and crapped all over Michael Cohen because Costello took to a podium in front of the press and said he did. Um, and then they bring back uh, Pecker, so prosecutor hat, Karen Freeman Ignifolo. Why, why, after January, is Pecker back? What does it mean for Donald Trump? What does it mean for the case? And how close they are to indictment? So, Pecker testified three months ago or more. And that's a long time in the world of a trial or a grand jury. And if this is a normal trial where someone testified three months ago, you can, you can, in your summation, you can remind people of what the person said. But in this particular situation in a grand jury, there are no summations or closing arguments. And there's no opening statements either. And there's no cross-examination of witnesses. It's, it's really just a, you're supposed to just put in uh, bare bones evidence. This has, this whole grand jury uh, presentation, which happens sometimes, by the way, is not unusual. Uh, this happens sometimes where a defendant might testify or a defendant might ask for witnesses to come in. It, it sort of turns into a mini trial. And that's what this has, has turned into. And so Bob Costello <coughs> presented information to the grand jury that was contrary to the people's theory, the, the government's the prosecutor's theory of the case and uh, contradict some of their evidence. And so what, what Alvin Bragg is doing now with his team is they're rebutting the evidence. And that's why they put David Pecker into the grand jury to rebut the evidence of what uh, Costello said. Uh, one other question I had was, are they waiting on records or documents? Is that why they haven't asked them to vote? Because, you know, perhaps to rebut some of what uh, Costello said. Perhaps there's some other, um, not witnesses that they're waiting to call, but perhaps records. And, and you need subpoena to get certain things, and you need an open grand jury, so they can't have voted yet in order to get to issue a, a grand jury subpoena. So. There, there could be lots of reasons why things are happening, but all anyone is doing is giving it their best guess. And all I'm trying to do is give options, that it could be this, it could be that, but it don't read certain things into it. What it, what it doesn't mean is that there's some problem or that this is unusual. And you know, Donald Trump in his, in his Truth Social posted, I think it was today, uh, this, this whole thing about I've gained such respect for this grand jury, 
you know, perhaps even the whole grand jury system, the evidence is so overwhelming in my favor and so ridiculously bad for the highly partisan and hateful DA that the grand jury is saying, hold on, we're not a rubber stamp, which most grand jurors are branded as being. We're not going to vote against a preponderance of the evidence <laughs> or against a large number of legal scholars all saying there's no case here. Now, this, this, this message is, is, is so chock full of, of information. Number one, the IA gained such respect for this grand jury and the grand jury system. He's trying to butter them up. He's hoping they'll see this and that somehow, because he knows that a week ago he threatened them, right, or threatened the, the, the prosecutor and threatened death and destruction, you know, for, for and that scared them. You know, they're human, right? So they, they see someone with a, with a baseball bat to someone else's head and threatening death and destruction. Now that, of course, he walks that back on Hannity and claims that, that he didn't do that, but that's, of course, preposterous. But look um, at that, but, but, no, but don't, wait, hold on, Karen, don't drop, don't drop the last line. You, let, you left out the last line. Let's put it back up. Drop the sick winch hut now. That's yeah, like a exactly. command to the grand yeah. jury. Well, yeah, he's definitely, so this to me was absolutely to the grand jury. This, this is absolutely him talking to the grand jury, like you just said. Drop the sick witch hunt now. And again, he's buttering them up because he threatened them already. So now he's like, I'm not a bad guy. I, I think you're great. I have respect for you, right? So so that's so that's sort of his, you know, his his statement to the grand jury and trying to get them to, to do that. But you know, his what he's trying to do is mislead people into thinking that the fact that there is this gap in time, if there is one, has anything to do with the fact that it's someone's having cold feet or that is, you know, the case is not overwhelming in his favor. You, you know, all, all the things he's saying there that he's, again, he's making it up, but, but this is very much him trying to influence the grand jury because he thinks that that's what this, this, what he, what people are calling a delay. What I'm calling is just the normal fits and starts of a grand jury. I mean, there are times in a long-term grand jury where, where you have witnesses back to back to back to back, and there are other times where you'll have you know, a month where you won't even hear about that case because, A, they might be hearing another case, and B, you might be waiting for other witnesses or other records or other things that you're trying to do in that grand jury. So, so a grand jury is not like a trial where it's every day and, and you know, you, you can predict it. The, the, uh, a long-term grand jury really sits and fits and starts. So this isn't a pause. It's not a delay. It's just a matter of logistics, timing. And again, I still think security is a huge issue for law enforcement and is one of the factors in determining when they're going to ask the grand jury to vote. So, yeah, I, uh, I agree with it. I th for me... Pecker's a bad sign for Donald Trump because I think he's not a fa he's the most unfavorable witness to Donald Trump. He had immunity at the federal level, as you pointed out in prior podcasts. He automatically gets transactional immunity, so he can testify at free will, uh, freely without worrying about being prosecuted for what he says. And we know from the non-prosecution agreement and the um, and the factual uh, statements there, what his testimony is, which is all about, I devised the Catch and Kill program to help Donald Trump. Donald Trump knew all about it. Donald Trump funded it and ultimately paid it, whether he paid it directly or he did it through Michael <clears throat> Michael Cohen reimbursement. That is the nub of, of Pecker's testimony, and the jury wants to hear it again. Um, and we already know that the, the, the Achilles heel for the case, if you will, and there's been reporting that 
um, recently that like Alvin Bragg made a comment. I don't know if it's true or not. You don't have to comment on it, Karen, if you know anything. That's insider. But that he originally had said about Michael Cohen, I am never going to prosecute a case where Michael Cohen is the lead witness. Now, that apparently, if that's true, and that's been reported, he's come around, Alvin Bragg, after meeting with Michael Cohen a number of times and feeling better about him as a witness. But we know that Michael Cohen's credibility is at issue, and bringing in witnesses that can bolster aspects of his narrative, of his story, is a very good thing for the prosecution and a bad thing for Donald Trump. Because everybody who, who isn't Michael Cohen that says the same thing and sings from the same page of the, of the hymnal as Michael Cohen about a certain meeting, about a certain event, like Kellyanne Conway and David Becker, that's a bad day for Donald Trump. So it's not like it's a, a witness that is exculpatory, um, ten, you know, leading to the innocence of Donald Trump at all. It's a bad witness for Donald Trump. And he could be whistling in the graveyard. We know why he tweets at social media these days. He wants to control the narrative for political purposes and for fundraising because he, he needs to keep those spigots on. And every time he's, the, he's persecuted, it, you know, it's persecuted Donald Trump, he gets a million dollars a day in fundraising. That's it. Um, of course, it backfires when judges, and we're going to talk about one a little bit later, when judges latch on to his social, social media posts to, um, to nail him from a legal perspective because what works in the court of public opinion in social media does not usually work in a courtroom with a person in a black robe who controls your fate either financially in a civil case or your, your, your liberty in a criminal case. So those worlds are all colliding and collapsing at Donald Trump because and, you know every button he pushes that would usually work if he were not in the crosshairs of multiple indictments isn't working here because these are the specifics that prosecutors are using and will continue to use against him. Just as we at the Midas, at the Midas Touch Network are watching his social to report on it and then try to integrate it into the legal cases, the prosecutors and the investigators are doing the same darn thing. And they're saying, how does this piece of new evidence today, like the social media truth thing that you read today, care? How does that fit into our case? Either goes to mens rea, criminal intent, or undermine a defense, or is it inconsistent with something else that he had said? You know, and so people are scrambling, but they're doing it for a purpose. It's not a game. It's it's for it's for these prosecutions. The last thing I want to cover before we move on to the other two segments tonight is this whole debate that's still raging about what could the second crime be. You need two crimes here in order for it to be a felony. Everybody agrees to that. The one crime of, we already have one crime we know is going to be charged if there's a, if there's a charging decision, an indictment. It is going to be false books and records entry because of the cover-up around the $130,000 payment. The structured nature of the payment, it was multiple payments back to Michael Cohen. They grossed it up so that he wouldn't suffer any tax consequences. So they gave him like the 30 or 40 percent more. So if it wouldn't be seen as he wouldn't get hit on his income tax and have to pay more taxes. Also a sign of, of, uh, of criminal intent because you want to hide it and hide the nature of the transaction. So you got to they over the game a bonus and a kicker for having pulled it off. I mean, these are all things that are really, really important, but they're also crimes in the state of New York. 
they are, they're misdemeanors unless they're in furtherance of another crime. And that second crime, as Karen and I talked about this before we got on, doesn't have to be a felony. It could be two misdemeanors, like two wrongs don't make a right. Two misdemeanors can make a felony. Because if you're, the misdemeanor of books and entry is covering up another crime, as long as it's a crime, misdemeanor or not, or felony, it creates a felony. And so the misdemeanor, and let me throw this one out at you, Karen, because we talked about a lot of different ones. Is it money laundering? Is it, is it, um, is it tax evasion? Because he got a tax deduction on the Trump Organization side for listing it as a legal expense back to Michael Cohen when it was really a hush money payment to Stormy, <coughs> Stormy Daniels, which is not deductible by the Internal Revenue Code. Um, is it that? And then the, the latest one I want to throw at you, and, and maybe we can have our speaker put it up on the screen, is New York Election Law 17-152. Now, I looked at 17-152, and I looked at the definition of election. Because everybody focused on this is a state law, but this was a federal election. But if you look at the election law in the state of New York, it doesn't matter. Election is not defined as state or federal. It's just an election. And 17-152 is a conspiracy to promote or prevent an election. Any two or more persons who conspire to promote or uh, prevent the election of any person to a public office by unlawful means in which conspiracy is acted upon by one or more of the parties shall be guilty of a misdemeanor. So if you're making an illegal campaign contribution, which in effect this is because you're trying to uh, gag Stormy Daniels from going public during a campaign which would wreck his chances, that's sort of a lawful means. So, and, and just one thing to put this in historical perspective, um, to, to, to compare Democrats and Republicans. Uh, Bill Clinton had this problem on the campaign trail, too. Um, he had a lot of women that came out um, in that era in 92 and 91 and said, uh, me too. I also had an affair with the governor. He made an inappropriate pass at me. He touched me. We had sex. Um, in fact, it was colloquially referred to at the time in a totally politically incorrect way as among his campaign staffers as the bimbo eruptions <laughs> that these women who were being misogynistically called bimbos were coming out of nowhere and they were having to deal with them. The difference is that, that at least for that one, putting aside Monica Lewinsky, uh, Bill Clinton didn't try to pay them off or have other people pay them off to get rid of them. He just dealt with them at press conferences. Donald Trump went this next step further on lawful means and a crime. So let me turn it to you. Do you think 17152 could be the crime, or do you think there's some hole in my theory? No, no, it, look, it, the, the only hole in your theory about that is that, like, and the, the name of the case escapes me right now, but there's a, uh, there's a, a case that, that will that held holds that in a federal in a presidential election or federal election federal election crimes preempt state election crimes and so if they're, they're saying because of that because it would preempt it and the feds already passed on it that uh, that therefore it wouldn't apply but you know, I, I am not as caught up in this as so many other people that this you that you do need to prove a second crime. Really, because if you read the statute falsifying a business record in the first degree, what it's about is is you know you falsify the business record, you you um, you 
you, you intentionally deceive with the intent to deceive um, you fraudulently you know enter a false business record but the but the problem is hi there welcome back welcome back <clears throat> we're in the middle of the the legal aid act there's some water give me some water because uh Josh Howley completely falls on his face with most hypocritical moments. If you wear glasses or contacts or have cataracts, diabetic retinopathy, macular degeneration, glaucoma, or following the Nashville school shooting, Democrats are pushing for improved gun safety, while Republicans like Josh Hawley are hypocritically trying to push a hate crime investigation. I'm Gabe Sanchez, and you can watch more What Was That commentary on my Patreon at whatwasthatshow.com. Now, for more on Josh Hawley's racist hypocrisy, it's time for What Was That? When it comes to mass shootings, Josh Hawley lethargically stands by without a care for human life especially innocent children. And recently, when he was asked by CNN about keeping Americans safe with tougher restrictions on assault weapons, this is what he had to say. Why are you opposed to reinstating this ban? Well, I mean, a lot of people use ARs and AKs for sporting purposes. I've fired both of those things. Um, so, those firearms for sporting purposes. So, but listen, let's stay focused on the issue at hand, which isn't some generic question about guns. It's what happened to these children in this school by this shooter. What happened to these children? Are we really going to ask ourselves that question? I mean, it's simple. They were killed by a deadly assault weapon that was legally purchased. Josh Hawley doesn't want to talk about the real issue, which is the guns. It's always been the guns. Or the fact that restrictions on assault weapons actually work. He wants to rebrand deadly assault weapons and semi-automatic rifles as something that's only used for sport. Which is weird, because it sure seems like the go-to weapon in these mass shootings is the AR-15, Uvalde, Buffalo, Boulder, Orlando, How many millions Las has, Vegas, he, has Josh Hawley gotten from on. the Our NRA? How many millions has Josh Hawley gotten from the NRA? Let's uh, um, Google it. <clears throat> Um, Mitt Romney, NRS Defender, Brady Campaign, on Missouri Senators, wait, wait. let's see, Toronto, Marco Rubio, Florida, Marco Rubio got 3 million, 3.3 million, I'm gonna tweet him. Okay, um, <laughs> so yeah, let's get back to Gabe. Our country has a disgusting fetish with bigger and powerful guns. 
The director of the FBI and the Secretary of Homeland Security to open a federal investigation, a federal hate crime investigation into what happened in Nashville. We need the facts, Mr. President. We need to know about the premeditated crime. We need to know about what this shooter did and intended to do. We need to know about the influence. Violent rhetoric motivated this shooter. Were there others involved? This contagion of hateful rhetoric and... <clears throat> hey, Josh, Holly. Josh Holly. Um, ninety one subscribers. Mm. And let's see. I'm guessing 3.2. I'll go check. Alright, so. Violence must not be allowed to spread, Mr. President, and that is why we need all federal resources according to federal law, devoted now on the ground in Nashville to get the facts and to stop the violence from spreading further. And I call on this body, every member of this body, to condemn in the clearest of terms this hate crime against this community in Nashville. Today, I will introduce a resolution explicitly condemning this massacre as the hate crime that it is, and calling upon this body to condemn hateful rhetoric that leads to violence. Wait, what was that? I will introduce a resolution explicitly condemning this massacre as the hate crime that it is, and calling upon this body to condemn hateful rhetoric that leads to violence. This is the most fired up that I've ever seen Josh Hawley. I mean, other than the time that he cowardly ran away from the January 6 rioters that he riled up. But Josh Hawley's sudden urge to get the FBI and the DHS to investigate this shooting as a hate crime is very interesting. Especially because in 2021, Hawley voted against the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act that would expedite the review of hate crimes during a rise in anti-Asian attacks. And just so you know, Hawley was the only, and I mean only person to oppose it. This was his reasoning. My big problem with Senator Hirono's bill that Senate voted on today is that it turns the federal government into the speech police, gives government sweeping authority to decide what counts as offensive speech and then monitor it, raises big free speech questions. Look, there is a big difference between free speech and hate speech, and it would seem like Josh Hawley wants people to be able to freely harass Asian people. Just so you know, Josh Hawley never condemned the hate and violence that was targeted toward the Asian community. And now that I think about it, I don't remember Josh Hawley condemning the hate that led to the Club Q shooting, or the Pulse nightclub shooting, or even the Buffalo supermarket shooting. You know, the one where the shooter left behind a manifesto that explicitly stated his motive behind killing 10 black people? Josh Hawley's hypocrisy is on full display as he's inconsistent on the issue of hate crimes, 
and violence. And we definitely can't ignore Josh Hawley's intent with this Senate speech, which was to rile up his base with fear-mongering and transphobia. Mr. President, we must also tell the truth about what happened yesterday in Nashville. This murderous rampage, this taking of innocent life, was a horrific crime, but more specifically, it was a hate crime. A crime that, according to Nashville police, specifically targeted, that's their word, targeted, the members of this Christian community, the members of this religious institution, its students, its educators, its employees. Let's be clear, Mr. President, federal law prohibits the targeting of violence against any American on the basis of religious affiliation or religious practice or religious belief, but that is, according to police, exactly what we saw happen yesterday. The members of this community were singled out because of their religious affiliation. The Nashville police never said that the trans shooter targeted the members of this Christian community because of their religious beliefs. What the Nashville police actually said was that the school and church were targets, but the shooter fired in discriminately at victims. So while the authorities are still figuring out the shooter's motive, Josh Hawley might want to be careful about what he's asking for. And no matter how many mass shootings we have, Republicans won't give two shits about us. They only send thoughts and prayers. You know, the first thing in any kind of tragedy I do is, as I pray, I pray for the victims, pray for their families. And at the end of the day, Josh Hawley is a coward and a fraud who will never actually help the victims of these tragedies. Especially since Josh Hawley is in the NRA's pocket receiving almost $1.4 million from the gun group alone. The only real way to get Josh Hawley and his fellow Republican sellouts out of the way is to vote them out of office in 2024. Because it's important to remember that your vote has the power to enact real change. Well, thanks so much for watching another episode of What Was That? If you'd like to get access to exclusive bonus content and watch more What Was That? commentary, make sure to join my Patreon at whatwasthatshow.com. So until next episode, I'm Gabe Sanchez, and this has been What Was That? Hello. Where's the um? Here we go. Did he structure the payments over eleven times? And why else did he lie about it? And why else did he? You know, what I, I would say we don't know if his intent was to cover up or conceal Michael Cohen's crime of tax fraud.
Just asking for a friend, haha. That would account because it doesn't say who mm -hmm. had to commit the crime. We don't know if he intended to conceal, if he's truly the victim of extortion, then he's doing it to cover up that crime, right? right. Him, in some ways, you know, because it doesn't say who and it doesn't say what. So it's just, it has to be a crime. And it could be one of the three that you mentioned, and, or it could be these other people or these. So here's, here's the question. Here's the question. And I think you, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to nerd out with you in a minute. And I think we've talked about this before. It is not necessary, is it, former Madam Prosecutor, that they charge a second crime? No. It's just that it's right. So they're not going to put on, that's where everybody makes the mistake in mainstream media. They're like, what could the second crime that they would charge be? They don't have to charge. Mm -hmm. They just have to say it was in furtherance of another crime. It could be a stale, dead crime that already happened. And somebody else's crime, as you've just outlined, it, it's just that that is the object of the furtherance of the conspiracy. By the way, he could have also, because it, it's the intent to commit or conceal a crime, he could have also said to David Pecker, you know why I'm doing it this way, you know, or to Cohen or somebody else, or Kellyanne Conway or Hope Hicks or whoever, you know, he could have said to someone, you know, the reason I'm doing it this way is so that way I don't have to, I can deduct this on my taxes. But then at the time he chooses not to deduct it on his taxes, that still would count because the intent to commit a crime was there. Even if he didn't do it, he still did enough so to be guilty. This is why I love doing the show with you. It's just, I don't, and then I, I also hope that people like watching us do the show together, but that's, it's those kind of observations. Yeah. But, but look, we're, we're going to continue to follow this. I can't think of a better person for our audience to listen to and hear the analysis of the Karen Friedman Niffalo. I'm just going along for the ride, trying to hold okay. it up my end, my end of the bargain. Go ahead. They, they might charge a second crime. You said, right. you said do they have to? But they don't have to. But they might. But I think that's I think that's the blind spot in a lot of analysis that, that people are thinking they have to, and what could that be? But we're going to talk about that. We're going to continue to follow this both here on the podcast, on the weekend edition as well, and then in the hot takes that Karen Ben and me have been doing, God, almost on an hourly basis and during this indictment watch period, uh, indictment watch season. And we're going to talk about two really amazing other segments uh, as we move forward. We're going to talk about what is going on in the E. Jean Carroll case. The clock is ticking there. We're three weeks away from picking a jury in the civil fraud case for E. Jean Carroll um, in her claims against Donald Trump uh, in civil rape and for the second defamation that Donald Trump did after he was president. And then we're also going to talk about Jack Smith. He's had a big week in front of two, not one, but two chief judges of the D.C. Circuit Court because he, he had Beryl Howell and then he picked up, up Jeff Boesberg, who took over for a new seven-year term. And they're like 10-0 and 0 in stripping away the executive privilege from like every important person in Trump's inner sanctum is now naked in front of the grand jury without an attorney-client privilege, without an executive privilege. The only thing they got left is Fifth Amendment privilege if they think they've committed a crime. But we're going to talk about what that probably means for where Jack Smith is in his charging decisions and as to which grand jury. But we're going to talk about that next. Karen and I are professionals, but we're not that type of professional. And while we hopefully make people feel better about law and politics, 
Um, we have a great sponsor that we're going to have come up next. They've been on a show before, and that's BetterHelp. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, BetterHelp. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. The last few years especially have been a wild ride, filled with my own personal self-realizations and growth. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding. Because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk through things. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. I personally have benefited directly from therapy, allowing me to talk through and work through experiences in my past that were unknowingly having a major impact on the way I go about my day-to-day. Therapy is an incredibly... Hi, everyone. Mark Barden here at Sandy Hook Promise. On December 14, 2012, my... Not at you, Judge Kaplan, which he did, and the judge noted, um, and all these other... But, but it's completely within... I mentioned the case, so if I mention the case, even though I then go on to... It called her a liar, a hoax, a cheat, and everything else. That was defamation, if it's not true, and attacked her personally. But then that's Carol 1. Carol 2 really has taken pills and had to set boundaries. Over time, I've truly learned to become the best version of me. And look, therapy is for everyone. AF. You know, we record some of these ads at different times. I never know when they're going to come up. So <laughs> I'm always, I'm as surprised as anybody when I see myself come up in one of these ads. And I was like, oh, there, there I am. All right. But we're back. Uh, we're, and let's let's uh, get get down to it. Let's talk first about E.G. and Carol. I mean, there's one major development, and we'll spend a little time on it. Um, cases going to trial, civil rape. Um, the case that is going to trial, we call Carol 2. Because Carol 1 was her original filing for the defamation that she claims happened when Donald Trump, while president, denied that he had ever known E. Jean Carroll, knew who she was, um, raped her, met her in Bergdorf Goodman department store, um, or any of it, called her a liar, a hoax, a cheat, and everything else. That was defamation, if it's not true, and attacked her personally. But then that's Carol 1. Carol 2 really is taken on a life of its own and has sort of gone uh, gone past Carol 1, and that is the civil rape claim that was brought, as the judge said today or, or this week in an opinion, within 10 minutes of the new statute allowing adult survivors of sexual battery to file their cases. And as I've said, E. Jean Carroll's was the first case to be filed. So that's now, along with a new 2022 defamation that Donald Trump did because he did the exact same thing all over again. But now he doesn't have the protection of presidential immunity when he said it's a hoax. She's not my type. I never met her. She's a liar. She changes her story and attacked her. That's Carol, too. Carol, too, is going to trial on the 25th of April in a federal courthouse in New York. Come hell or high water, as one of the judges likes to say, it's happening Judge has already made rulings. Judge Kaplan has already made rulings. He's already said that the national that the uh, the, the uh, testimony of two other women who say that they were also me too, also attacked by Donald <laughs> Trump sexually, are going to be in front of the jury. And that infamous Access Hollywood hot mic <laughs> moment when Donald Trump didn't know he was being recorded when he talked about um, pushing himself onto women, uh, taking advantage of them, sexually Grabbing assaulting them, pussies. and grabbing their genitalia. That's coming yeah. in in front of the jury as well. Ha. And now the judge is making other rulings, getting ready for this trial. 
So just this past week, the uh, defense filed a motion for what we call motion for partial summary judgment, which is a and the, uh, the, the uh, testimony of two other women who say that they were also, me too, also attacked by Donald Trump sexually are going to be in front of the jury. And that infamous Access Hollywood hot mic moment when Donald Trump didn't know he was being recorded, when he talked about uh, pushing himself onto women, uh, taking advantage of them, sexually assaulting them and grabbing their genitalia. That's coming in in front of the jury as well. And now the judge is making other rulings, getting ready for this trial. So just this past week, the um, defense filed a motion for what we call motion for partial summary judgment, which is a way for the for the uh, defense, the uh, the, the uh, test motion for what we call the uh, the uh, the, uh, the the uh, testimony of two other women who say that they were also me too also attacked by Donald Trump sexually are going to be in front of the jury and that infamous Access Hollywood hot mic moment when Donald Trump didn't know he was being recorded when he talked about uh, pushing himself onto. Oh, well, popcorn uh, taking advantage of them, sexually assaulting them and grabbing their genitalia. That's coming in in front of the jury as well. And now the judge is making other rulings, getting ready for this trial. So just this past week, the uh, the uh, the, the uh, testimony of two other women who say that they were also me too, also attacked by Donald Trump sexually are going to be in front of the jury. And that infamous Access Hollywood hot mic moment when Donald Trump didn't know he was being recorded, when he talked about um, pushing himself onto women, uh, taking advantage of them, sexually assaulting them, and grabbing their genitalia. That's coming yeah. in in front of the jury as well. And now the judge is making other rulings, getting ready for this trial. So just this past week, the, uh, the uh, judgment, which is a way for the, for the uh, defense or the plaintiff to say that certain issues on an undisputed factual record can be concluded or decided by the judge as a matter of law. You don't need a jury. Let's just make the decisions. And here is the facts and here is the law and judge, you apply the undisputed facts to the law. And if the judge finds that there are <clears throat> undisputed facts and the law is on your side, You may get a judgment. For trial, and that's called summary judgment. Okay, they brought one saying 
that um, even if he said and did all of these things on social media on October 12th of 2022 um, in his Truth Social, where he again attacked in a long string, many screen social media post, Carol, that that was covered by what New York recognizes, as does every other state, some version of it, the absolute litigation privilege, which means in the state of New York, under Section 74 of the New York Civil Rights Law, if you are just fairly and accurately reporting a judicial proceeding, then by doing so, You, you can't be sued for defamation because you're just fairly and accurately reporting a traditional proceeding. So the whole case turns on, the whole issue turns on whether, I mean, this is it, whether there has been a accurate report of the judicial proceeding by Donald Trump when he made the comments. Now, the way Donald Trump tried to weasel around this is that he said, well, I was just commenting about what the Carol One case was all about. And yeah, I took a pot shot at you, Judge Kaplan, which he did, and the judge noted, um, and all these other. But but it's completely within. I mentioned the case, so if I mention the case, even though I then go on to attack uh, mercilessly E. Jean Carroll again, that's covered by the privilege, right? And the judge said, not so fast. Um, I but but he 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 methodically, in a twenty-page decision, went through it. And I'm going to hear Karen's opinion, and then I'll give you a couple of highlights, which don't help Donald Trump on the way into his jury trial. Now, one last thing before Karen speaks. All of this briefing and motion practice by the lawyers on issues like you know, legal issues, like does this immunity privilege apply and the statute limitation, the jury doesn't really know usually about any of this. By the time they get there, the case is sort of settled. The, the judge, along with the parties, have settled on the law that's going to be ultimately charged to the jury. Uh, what are the elements of this claim? What are the elements of this defense? What are the elements of damage? What's the jury verdict form going to look like? That's all sort of, you know, by the time the jury gets the case and deliberations at the end, that's all settled. Many of this is settled before so that the lawyers can talk about it in opening and say, this is the law you're going to see. This is what civil rape means. This is the elements of defamation. We're going to ask you at the close of the evidence to return a verdict in our favor, in a judgment in our favor and all that. So that, but this stuff right now, yes, the jury's sitting at home that doesn't know they're the jury yet because they haven't been selected. They learn about it. But the jury as jury doesn't learn about these types of developments unless it, it addresses evidentiary issues that they have to be instructed on and that type of thing. Okay, so you've heard about it, Karen. What did you make of this decision and um, Trump's attempt to get rid of this defamation claim? You know, it's interesting because I look at this, yes, this is a defamation case, but it's also a rape case. Like to me at its core, this is a rape case and yes, it's civil and yes, it is also a defamation in it. To me, it all comes down to the rape because if he raped her, then, you know, you know, it all, it all rises and falls on, on whether or not it actually happened because truth is the defense, right? To, you know, whatever, to, to uh, defamation. And so, 
I looked at this, what I found most interesting about the motion practice in this case was that the judge banned the lawyers from mentioning DNA evidence. Now, I know you asked me a different question and you asked me about the defamation, um, but I, you know, I'm not an Holy expert on that privilege DNA that you talked evidence. about or, you know, when, when it's, it, Beyond a reasonable doubt. He definitely talked more than just about the litigation. He also talked about, again, repeating his his uh, attacks on her. And I'm certainly not an expert on whether that counts or not. I mean. And, and I don't have an opinion here or there uh, about what the judge did there. I take that at face value that he was accurate. But like I said, I was much more interested in what he said about the DNA evidence. And and the thing about the DNA evidence, so, you know, the, the, the posture of it is, uh, is that the is E. Jean Carroll came out and, you know, she saved the dress she was wearing that day and she claimed that there was DNA on it and that she, that that would prove her case. And she was very public about that, right? Kind of like the, the Monica Lewinsky blue dress that we all remember, you know, the, when, when Bill Clinton said, you know, I never had sexual relations with that woman. And then as soon as she had her blue dress and he had his DNA on there, he started getting squirrely and saying, you know, well, just depends on the definition of sexual content, you know, whatever it was. And, you know, I, I just, I, I think that, um, I think it's just very powerful that she has that dress. The other thing is she, the, when, when they, when they tested the dress, there was male skin cell fragments on there, which again is pretty powerful. And for a long time, uh, during the pendency of this case, they, um, uh, uh, Roberta Kaplan, who's the lawyer in this case, not to be mistaken by judge Lewis Kaplan, um, who's, presiding over the case, asked for Trump's DNA sample, and he refused. He wouldn't give it. And that was very public. And then and then Takapina, who's his most recent attorney, comes forward after discovery has long been passed and closed. Takapina says, okay, now we'll do it. And the judge says, you know what? I'm not doing it now because discovery is closed. And, and uh, so you, so nice try. You're just trying to delay and this is going forward April 25th and you can't play that game. You know, when, when discovery is closed, it's closed. I also think um, Roberta Kaplan is not pushing for it because it might not be conclusive one way or another, given the fact that there might be a mixture, it probably is a mixture, which means that it can be very difficult to, to determine if Donald Trump's DNA is in there, if it is a mixture. But I personally think it's a huge mistake. And I really, um, I really hate saying that because I think Roberta Kaplan is one of the most brilliant lawyers I know. I think strategically it's a huge mistake to not, want DNA in there. And I'll tell you why. Number one, jurors watch TV. And whether you watch Law and Order or CSI or any other television show, you know that DNA is 
is it, right? It's either there or it's not. And it's very dispositive and jurors expect to hear about it, number one. Number two, jurors will have read about the publicity in this case where she has talked about the fact that she saved the dress. And so they're gonna wonder, where is it? And you know, in criminal cases, when when we had situations like this where there was no d where we let's say we tested something and there was no dna or there was insufficient dna or there was a mixture we 100 percent put on an expert to explain why you would not find expect to find dna or why it's a mixture or why you can't why it's inconclusive you have to put an expert on to explain the absence of dna in a case or why, if there is DNA, why it's inconclusive. And I think the jury is going to want that. They're going to expect it. And without it, it's a he said, she said. And frankly, they are going to know, like I said, they will have read the paper. And or I guess people don't read papers anymore. They will have read the stories online or watched the news and they will know about this dress. And by not explaining it, I think is a huge strategic mistake. And it worries me in this case. Yeah, I think we're going to have to see. I mean, I know that I, I'm not surprised by it. I mean, I mean, Robbie Kaplan, the lawyer for Eugene Carroll, said two months ago that she did not see this as a DNA case, obviously because there's a problem with DNA on the blue dress. Now, I, I believe... I believe the witness when she says that she was so traumatized by what happened to her in the Bergdorf Goodman um, department store, not bathroom, for those that have gotten that wrong, dressing room, which is a more private area and a larger area, um, um, that she was so traumatized by it that she took that dress she was wearing at that time, she stuck it in the back of coats in her closet um, and um, never really, you know, uh, remembered it again until she decided to to sue but they look i know robbie kaplan i'm sure she tested the dress and there it's inconclusive as the dna because she did and it is that and there's been testimony yeah. about there but then so, you still have to explain it you have to well, explain it well and the well, judge barred any mention of dna and i think that's a mistake yeah I, I have to get my hands on the ruling on that but i about exactly what he ruled but um they're going to have to do something about the blue dress because it's out there. Now, whether they can mention it without the DNA, what, what were you wearing that day? That's We're not at DNA yet. I was wearing a blue dress. Did you keep the blue dress? I did. The quote, is, di the quote is, you're precluded from any testimony, argument, commentary, or reference concerning DNA evidence. But that's not the blue dress. So if I'm the lawyer, if I'm Robbie, because you have to address your issue, I say, um... Explain to the jury. Let's go slow. Explain to the jury. Did you know Donald Trump before? I did casually in town. How? I was a gossip columnist for for Elle magazine and in other places. I was also married at the time to a very well-known local news reporter, which she was. I bumped into him socially. Okay. On this particular day, did you, you know, or, or did you bump into him at Bergdorf Goodman? I did. How did that happen? I met him at the revolving doors. He knew me. I knew him. There was some banter. He asked to shop with me during the day. I thought that was weird, but I liked, you know, I knew him as a as a bachelor around town and I was single too. And so I walked around with him in the department store. What happened next? I got pushed into the dressing room um, and he then proceeded to sexually assault and rape me 
What were you wearing that day? Do you recall? I do. How did you recall that? It's so long ago. I was wearing a blue dress. Well, how do you know that's sitting here now? Because I kept the dress. Why did you keep the dress? Because I was so traumatized because it, I just could never wear it again, but yet I couldn't throw it out. So it stood in the back of my closet behind coats. Do you have it today? I do. Move on. Next line of questions. Blue dress is in. DNA is not mentioned. That's the way you have to solve this problem. No, it doesn't solve it, though, because the defense, you sum up and you say, you say, this is a he said, she said, ladies and gentlemen, there's no proof. There's no anything. He denies seeing no, her. He denies no, it doesn't her. solve there's the no... problem of the DNA, but you have to bring the dress in as a plaintiff's oh, yes. lawyer. No, of course yeah. you have to bring the dress in, but I agree with that. And you're going to put the dress into evidence, but every juror is going to say, okay, was there DNA or was there not? I don't understand. It's like, it's, I, I think you, I think what she had to do, yes, it's a mixture. It's wouldn't be dispositive. If I were her, I'd put on an expert to explain that because I think they're going to wonder and look, maybe because it's not beyond a reason. If this was a beyond a reasonable doubt, standard yeah. this is criminal this is 100 percent an acquittal yeah. maybe because it's only a you know preponderance well, of the evidence you this know, is where, where you and i have different perspectives because you spent 30 years as a prosecutor and i spent 30 years as a defense and plaintiff's lawyer so uh, I, yes i'd love to if we had dna in a civil case I'd be like, oh my god we're by the way if we had dna in a civil case and it was proven it was donald trump on the, this we wouldn't even yeah. be talking about a exactly. trial the trial exactly. would be over yes. settlement would be had <laughs> and we're done right if, but right. that's not so we're gonna have to leave it to a jury of, of no, you're right you're, i keep forgetting this lower standard 51 <laughs> percent. you know it's it's I a feather on this it's a I, feather I on the scales of justice that's all i can't it is. get used to it i just can't get used to it i'm so, so like you know, yeah. Okay, so, no DNA. so we could spend all day talking about Eugene Carroll, right, but we sorry, can't because our a our producers will kill us, and the audience will be like, "What's going on with Jack Smith?" There's developments. Yeah, it's salty. <laughs> Salties are, but I but I'm getting little comments from him. So uh, Jack Producer. Smith, Jack Smith, at the top of the podcast, to show you how up to the moment we are. The top of the podcast, I said there was a, a series of rulings, both by. Beryl Howell, who was then the chief judge to, uh, 10 days ago, and Jeb Boesberg, who's now the chief judge now of the D.C. Circuit Court, about all things grand jury, in which a whole line of um, executive branch people um, had their executive privilege stripped away from them and compelled to testify before the grand jury. National Security Advisor John uh, Ratcliffe, National Intelligence Director Robert O'Brien, Deputy Attorney, um, Deputy Assistant Homeland Security Acting, because he never really got the job, Ken Cuccinelli, Mark Meadows, and then separately um, Mike Pence, then the Vice President under a separate set of rulings and, uh, and separate privileges. Now, and that's all true, and they were all compelled to testify. Interestingly enough, two weeks ago, when Evan Corcoran, M. Evan Corcoran, the lawyer for Donald Trump for all things Mar-a-Lago and the documents issue, was also stripped of his attorney-client privilege and compelled to testify. Um, the, uh, and there was a appeal by Corcoran and Trump to the D.C. Circuit Court, Court of Appeals, and they lost 3-0. They did not take an appeal to the Supreme Court, and Evan Corcoran went in the next day and testified. It all happened within like 72 hours. Briefing, appellate decision, testimony, no appeal to the Supreme Court. So that seemed to be his MO, and Evan Corcoran testified. 
But now that all this inner circle, including White House aides Dan Scavino and Stephen Miller, Trump's up in arms. And now it's been reported as recently as like an hour ago that Trump is going to appeal it. Here we have it here is appealing Beryl Howell. So it's not the one about Mike Pence because Beryl Howell didn't do Mike Pence. It's Beryl Howell's decision about that list of people that I just read out. Ratcliffe, O'Brien, Cuccinelli, Scavino, Miller, Meadows are all appealing back to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, meaning we got to wait for the wheel to spin and the random assignment of three new judges. Last time with e, e, uh, with M. Evan Corcoran, the three judges happened to be two Biden and one Obama appointee. So that was like cherry, 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 checkpot. <laughs> now we're going to have to see what three get pulled up. Uh, now, is it going to be a couple of Trumpers? Is it going to be? And and once we see the panel, then Karen, me and Ben can more accurate, accurately report what's going to happen next. But we got to wait. They're going to take the appeal. This could go fast. It went really, really fast with Evan Corcoran. I'm not kidding. 72 hours, panel at the Court of Appeals was appointed, panel ordered a briefing schedule that was hours long, not weeks or months long. They compressed into like six months, four months, into 72 hours and and entered a ruling. That's going to happen here. Now, based on that, we'll have to see what he does next. Last time I predicted that when Evan Corcoran's appellate ruling came out against Trump that he was going to appeal to the Supreme Court and take his chances with the right-wing MAGA that he had appointed, but he didn't. So first steps first. Let's see what the D.C. Court of... Let's see what the panel is. Let's see what the D.C. Court of Appeals does, and then let's see what he does. In the meantime, those people are... are They run in place. They're not going to testify until there's an ultimate ruling. Now, in addition to that, separately, and it hasn't yet been appealed, that's a Mike Pence issue... Um, maybe with Donald Trump, is Mike Pence's assertion of, of speech and debate immunity, along with executive privilege, to avoid testimony, testifying at all to the grand jury, um, just as he did to the Gen 6 committee. That ruling just came out. That was issued by the replacement for Beryl Howell, Jeb Boesberg, the new chief judge of the circuit. And Pence has said, oh, we're making our way through it. I see there's certain aspects of it where he agreed with me on speech and debate. And he says, I don't have to testify about what I did personally on Jan 6, but I do have to testify about any crimes that Donald Trump committed. We'll get back to you about our decision on appeal. So that hasn't happened yet. So that all the appeal and the thing we just put up, it's on everybody but uh, uh, including Mark Meadows, but Mike Pence. What do you think it means uh, from a prosecutor standpoint, Karen, about these particular people uh, and what Jack Smith is now focused on and how close he is? Are we on the one-yard line, the five-yard line? Are we at the end? Where are we with his prosecution? And which prosecution are we talking about? So I think it's pretty clear we're talking about January 6th when it comes to Pence. Uh, and I think that the, you know, whereas Evan Corcoran, I think, is is more clearly Mar-a-Lago. Um, but I think I think most of these that you are talking about, the Mark Meadows, John Ratcliffe, O'Brien, Cuccinelli, you know, all, all the ones that are are um, losing their bids to invoke the, this, these privileges. Um, I think we're talking about January 6th and the insurrection. And, you know, just backing up a minute, what are these privileges, these executive privilege or a speech and debate clause privilege 
that people are are trying to assert. You know, when you when you think about it, legally anyone can be compelled to testify unless you assert certain privileges. So there's the Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination. There's an attorney-client privilege where where it, it is you know it is designed to encourage people to speak openly to your attorney and therefore you don't that there there's that privilege you don't have to talk about what someone told you. There's a marital privilege designed to uh, encourage husbands and or I should say spouses to speak to one another openly and be able to have a relationship where you don't have to worry that anything you say in the context of that relationship is going to be called into court. And there's the priest, uh, priest penitent, you know, privilege and, you know, all, all there's different privileges all again to encourage people to be able to speak openly and not worry about be, being prosecuted for, uh, for doing that. But in addition to that are these other privileges, the executive privilege, which is in the executive branch for, so that the people in the executive branch and, and, and case law has, has definitely, uh, has made this, um, has broadened it to include staff, you know, to, to include staff, you know, in, in the executive branch, you know, that it, that it's so that again, so that you can talk about important policy issues and, and be able to talk about the pros and cons of something and, and not have that come into court. And, and then the final one is this speech and debate clause privilege that for the first time is now being applied to uh, Pence, the vice president. Normally, because he was the vice president, the executive privilege would be the one that he would try to assert. And he did try to assert that uh, with respect to certain statements. But on January 6th, the one in particular that he was focusing on was the, the speech and debate clause privilege because of his role in certifying the election. He, as the president of the Senate, has that ministerial role. And the judge here ruled that Pence does have to testify in the grand jury uh, and and the speech and debate clause does apply to him. And so there's certain questions he doesn't have to answer, but it doesn't cover everything. And so so I just wanted to remind everybody about what these privileges are and what they're for, because we, we talk about them so openly uh, and sometimes we forget what they are. What that says to me, though, and the way prosecutors work, just to just to answer your question, is that Jack Smith is uh, very far along in his investigation. You know, normally the way prosecutors work is is they work their way up to the big fish. And I don't think it gets any bigger than Mike Pence. You know, he was the target and the victim of the violence uh, on January 6th. He's also somebody who is going to be able to put in context what uh, what Donald Trump was saying to him before January 6th and the pressure that he was putting on, um, you know, on Pence to to um, participate in this illegal scheme to overturn the election results. You know, Pence was hunted down by these followers during the insurrectionist attacks. And, and most of that 
is on video because most of that was captured on video. So I don't know that the day of the stuff that, that they're saying that the judge said is covered by the speech and debate clause privilege that he doesn't have to answer. I don't know if that's as important as the conversations leading up to it where Trump was pressuring, pressuring, pressuring uh, to, um, to, to do this, you know, and to th literally throw the election. And so I, I think it, it really shows that they are, this they're this close to Trump. I mean, that's what they're trying to do. Because where else is there to go after Pence, right? There's the pro the prosecution is if they can get that testimony and the rest of these this testimony, I think Jack Smith is ready to make a recommendation to uh, Merrick Garland, and which I think will include seeking an indictment. Yeah. So we're going to have to follow that really closely. Well, I think everything will happen after the appeal. The appeal will probably be a rocket. A rocket docket appeal, like we saw with Evan Corcoran. What do you make of that, by the way? The speed. I think I think the Department of Justice told them that they're very close to um, making a charging decision and get, asking the grand jury to return an indictment, and they needed one last witness in Mar-a-Lago. That was Evan Corcoran, and they were like, "Okay, we hear you. We're not going to make this a four-month thing. We're going to the times. You know, we're on the clock." And I think they're going to try to make the similar argument. It's probably already been made in the secret court. Um, so the record's already clear with the with the Department of Justice. And I, so I think there'll be an accelerant on this so, uh, appeal as well. I So I have a slightly, I have one addition to what you're going to say. So I agree with you that that's what, that's what Jack Smith is probably telling the judge. But lots of prosecutors will tell a judge, this is all we need, one last one. And they still put, give you a four-month briefing schedule. So I think... It's also the judges are fed up with delay, delay, delay. I think the, I think the judges have realized with all the uh, legal proceedings around the country that Donald Trump is somebody who uses the, the justice and legal system and and uses it as a tool to for his, you know, it's, it's not supposed to be used to disrupt and delay and and. Um, slow down. It's, it's, it's supposed to be used to make legitimate legal arguments. And when people have legitimate legal arguments to make, you, it sometimes takes time to consider them and to decide them. But somebody like Donald Trump, I think, has worn out his welcome in the courts. I think they realize that he just, again, makes claims and, and legal arguments that are illegitimate and frivolous. He's been sanctioned for them and, and sometimes just ridiculous because he uses it as a tool to delay. And I think the judges are fed up and have had enough. And that's why yeah. I think they didn't do it here. I think, I think you're right about that. There, he, Donald Trump is 0-90 in courtrooms. He's been sanctioned and penalized by federal courts for frivolous filings. He's, he's frequently moved between the federal courts and the state courts, trying to put them at odds with each other and have failed every time, including at the appellate level, including the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, when it comes to documents and his handling of certain presidential issues have ruled almost invariably against Donald Trump. And there's a concept in that judges often refer to when they when they can't when they can't find a rule or a statute, they refer to two things. One, their inherent authority to do something as judges, and two, the fair administration of justice. And when they don't think that that the, when they think administration of justice is being interfered with, as you've just you know, so eloquently put about Donald Trump, they're like, sure, we'll give you an appeal, but we'll give it to you in 72 hours. Um, and then let's move this along because you're going to, you know, they've already made their, you know, they've already sort of made their decisions. I think it also depends on which of the three panelists get picked. It happened to be Biden, Biden, Obama. And they were like, move it along. If it turns out to be two Trumpers, 
uh, maybe they give them the benefit of the doubt and stretch this thing out because, you know, when things are going badly for you, you want to make them move, you know, slower. And so we'll see. I think when we see the panel, we're going to know. But listen, this has always been... I love Wednesdays. I can't wait to get to the end of the, you know, end of the day to do the podcast with you. Um, I'm like a little kid in a candy shop. And um, <laughs> hopefully that enthusiasm that you and I bring to every episode is infectious with our listeners and viewers. But we've reached the end of another midweek edition of Legal AF with Michael Popak and Karen Friedman at Niffalo. Shout out to the Legal AFers and to the Midas Mighty. And ultimately, if you want to help the show, which most people that are on here do, the way to do it is easy. And it's really free. If you watch us on YouTube, and we welcome you to do that, it's fun for us to to see the live chat and be involved like this. Go on the audio that drops um, the next morning, or ten or twelve hours later, and and subscribe to the audio and listen to the audio. That's free. Subscribe to the Midas Touch Network on YouTube. They just passed one million subscribers, and it was right after our Saturday show. I'm very proud about that. Put them over the top. So do that. So if you watch, you can, if you watch us, listen to us. If you listen to us only, and you're listening only to us now, go and watch us on YouTube. And that's also free and free subscribe there. And then you can rate and review us and give us five stars. That helps with the algorithm. And all that put together and that giant stew that I just described, what happens? What happens is we've increased our audience by 10 times over the last year. And we went from sort of scraping along the bottom of the podcast rankings to now consistently hitting the top 50 news globally for um, uh, top 50 ranking for news globally on Apple Pod. Who would have thought? That's because of you, not because of us. We're doing the programming. We're doing the content. But you're doing the support and the listening and the loyal following. And for that, we are very appreciative and we thank you. So until next week, Karen Freeman at Niffalo, I always love giving you the last, the last word. What's the last word? we got to go because Salty needs to. <laughs> That's the last word? Yeah, he's yelling at us to finish. All right. got to go. I'm double parked. i got to pull it out and do alternate side of the street parking. Exactly. We'll, see, we'll see everybody next Wednesday. <laughs>
Okay, so I'm gonna take a screenshot. Screenshot. The mud is always fucks it up. My dish touch. Right. So that was fucking great. Excellent, excellent podcast. Anyway, what else? Breaking Trump gets nightmare update in Manhattan case. Uh, 38 minutes ago. Manhattan you have these woke revolutions. It requires all of us at some point to say, no, not yeah, going to do this. Old part, you can go fuck Breaking yourself. news tonight from NBC, an hour yeah, after yeah. our weekly midweek legal af show dropped so we couldn't include it in there so i wanted to hop on tonight to just tell everybody what happened so you remember alan weisselberg who is the cfo for the trump organization he was being prosecuted along with the trump organization by the manhattan da's office he was indicted under da cy vance but the trial went under da alvin bragg's tenure and before the trial Alvin Bragg made a deal with Alan Weisselberg to cooperate against the Trump organization. He refused to cooperate against Donald Trump himself, but he did testify at trial and was instrumental in achieving the conviction of the Trump organization. And he, they, the Alvin Bragg's office, the Manhattan DA's office, my old office, got a 17 count conviction in that case. Now, Alan Weisselberg was represented by two lawyers, Mary Mulligan and Nicholas and both of them were paid for by the Trump organization, which many people surmised was the reason Alan Weisselberg, or one of the reasons, in addition to his loyalty, that he refused to testify and turn on Donald Trump because Donald Trump was paying for his lawyers. So it makes all the sense in the world. So then Alan Weisselberg is sentenced to jail. He went to Rikers Island for four months. I think he has a month left in that tenure. And, you know, there's a big difference between the threat of going to jail and being in jail. And Rikers Island is not a good place. And it's been reported that uh, he was facing additional fraud charges by the Manhattan DA's office. And it's looking like he didn't want to have additional fraud charges and spend more time in jail. So breaking news tonight is that those lawyers no longer represent him, that Mary Mulligan and Nicholas Gravante no longer represent him. Now, what could that mean? Why is that significant? What's the big deal, right? Some could say, well, you know, the case is over. He's already serving jail time. So what does he need lawyers for? Well, if you're facing additional charges, you definitely need lawyers. And if uh, the DA's office wants to talk to you about the fact that you are facing additional charges, 
you should have a lawyer. And it what this I've always wondered is Alan Weisselberg in exchange for not being further prosecuted is he agreeing to testify in the grand jury on the Stormy Daniels hush money you know that that case which is which everyone talks about that shorthand as if it's just about paying uh, an ex porn star when it's really an election interference case it's the first time he tried to interfere Trump tried to interfere with a presidential election because that's really what he was doing so it was his first election interference case and the case where he sat in the oval office and wrote 11 times checks uh fraudulent checks where he made business entry um business record entries saying they were legal fees or i should say legal retainer when there was no such thing and so that's the felony they're looking at is 